Good day, ball boys and girls, to another episode of It's a Team Sport, the show where we know we can't do it alone. Today, I'm joined by FC 13 veteran and a beauty of a man, Juan. Juan, how you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm chilling for now. So <laughs> can't complain. The weather's pretty crap right now, but we'll we'll see if it gets better throughout the day. Uh, that's, all, that's all we can ask for, right? But another very, very special guest, UEFA licensed coach and tactical masterclass, Cam Herbert. Cam, how are we doing? Hey, guys. No, I'm doing I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Can't wait to get started. No, I'm I'm super happy you're able to make it on. Really, really appreciate having you on here. Uh, so normally we would have Paul and Michael with us, but unfortunately, due to a couple time issues, it's me and Juan doing it. And it's great because Juan's a veteran in the show, so he knows kind of how we do everything here, anyways. So first, starting off, Cam, why don't you kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself, kind of who you are, where you came from, just the kind of the Coles notes of Cam. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I'll keep it keep it brief. I've been coaching since I was maybe 17 or 18 years old. Um, Juan actually worked at the second club I worked with. Um, so, and, you know, very funny story. Juan and I actually butt heads when we first got there. <laughs> when I first got there, um, I didn't like what he was doing in training. And I told our boss, I was like, hey, I don't like what Juan's doing in training. I think it's kind of dumb. Um, and, you know, our boss is like, okay, go tell him. And couple of days go by and like Juan, i ended up talking to juan about it i was like hey juan uh, uh juan came to me and he's like cam i heard you didn't like what i was doing in training and um from there um me and juan reconnected on twitter and kind of just remembered the the sc real mississauga days um and and what started off as i think i thought at least was kind of a rivalry at mississauga um has now blossomed into a, a nice friendship and then after uh mississauga I moved on to a club in Hamilton called Ancaster Legacy, where I met uh, my, uh, you know, my old technical director and now friend and mentor, Daryl Hellum, who taught me, um, I, I would say, uh, the most I've learned so far in, in, in soccer coaching. Um, he was a massive inspiration and a massive role model for me, still is, someone I can lean on at any time, send him a WhatsApp message, and he usually responds within a couple minutes um, with any question. Um, that's where I learned about load management and a bunch of other things, uh, you know, associated with, you know, U18 age group type of football. Um, then 2021, I think it was, I went to Scotland for my UEFA C, did really well there. They invited me to come back for my UEFA B. I didn't feel quite ready, but they invited them, them inviting me to come back was a signal to me <clears> that, <throat> okay, let's give, let's give, um, you know, I'm, they must think I'm UEFA B quality. So let's see if I can have a shot coaching in different countries to see if i can work with a different caliber of player and now i'm in malawi for uh this is the second we're starting the second year now so uh, it's been an exciting journey and um learning lots no that's uh, incredible like to be honest it's it's quite a good story um yeah i know i know we have a, a couple of questions to deep dive and we'll, we'll definitely be picking your brain on that um one you want to go first yeah um cam how how difficult was it to transition from uh, from Canada to Scotland and then to Malawi? Because those are all three varying countries. Like they're all different in in culture wise and probably with uh, working with kids as well. No, like how how easy was it to transfer your footballing knowledge to each country? Um, so Scotland wasn't too bad. Um, I felt that you know in some exercises or um, you know some parts of the course. Um, uh, in the on-field section. I think there was one day where I really struggled, um, in my eyes at least. And, and, you know, some people in the course will say I didn't, but I, I 
didn't meet the standards I set for myself. And I think that just comes down to poor communication. And that comes down to uh, the fact that I didn't articulate myself correctly and I didn't do it in a short enough time span, which is you know, a problem uh, courses have. And coaches will agree that you have to fit a certain amount of criteria to get a license and all that. And I didn't feel like I met that. Um, so the pressure, I think, was, you know, that was like the first time I ever traveled alone on a plane. Uh, I've been to the States a number of times, right, by myself, but I've never flown there. So all of this, you know, kind of piled on. The first day, I really, I really struggled. Um, coming to Malawi um, was, uh, it's, it's completely different working from uh, Canadian and, and, and Scottish uh, kids because in Malawi, uh, well, first of all, uh, they don't, our, our players don't speak English very well when we first get them, right? We get them in at about 10 to 12 years old. And at that point, they don't speak uh, any English. So um, you have to, the level of communication has to be high. You need to you know, gestures, um, tactics, boards, videos, pictures, whatever you can yourself. Um, and then as I'm learning with our U15 group, who can speak English quite well, um, sometimes the level of education they had before they came to our homeschool is now what's kind of making things difficult. Like there are some kids who can absolutely grab onto um, more in-depth concepts, much easier than others. And you'll get that in Canada um, where like, you know, one or two kids just might not get it. Whereas here, mm. it might be just one or two kids who do get it. Um, and that's no fault of their own. Um, that's their product of the education system, which is constantly improving. And um I guess to sum it all up, the biggest difference is uh, how much player, how much information players can take on. That's been the biggest difference. Yeah, that's that's fairly significant because that's such a such a broad, obviously, jump as as one pointed out. But what kind of growing pains really are involved in coaching, especially having to make those sort of jumps? So I think uh, I, the biggest one is uh, communication. Right. If you drone on and monologue, kids are not going to want to listen to you at any age. Um, so even if you're if you come from an esteemed playing background, uh, players are just going to like switch off because you're you know you're playing you're playing soccer, you're training, and this guy just stopped and is now talking for three, four, five, <laughs> six minutes. You know, it's like as you're like, okay, well, what the fuck? Just get on with it, right? I want to play, um, and that's what the that's what the players are thinking. They're trying to say, but they they just want to get get on with it, right? So we get in there, make it snappy. And a lot of coaches think they have like a brilliant new idea. They're like, oh, what I'm saying is gold. When in reality, no, uh, it's not. And every coach, um, you know, most good coaches have said what you're probably going to say. So just get on with it. Um, and then kind of condensing what you want to say is something I've learned, uh, I've learned to do since, you know, the first coaching session to now. Um, get in, make the point, try and get out. Uh, it's a little harder to do here in Malawi, again, because of the English and the level of understanding uh, for the game, but um, and you know the educational background. But instead of droning on for like you know two three minutes, you might get in there for a minute, and how we'll do it in Malawi is we ask a ton of questions. So even though that the um, I guess coaching point period is going on and starting to drone the engagement is still pretty high because all the players are being asked questions uh, related to the theme we're working on. So growing pains, communication, figure out how you're going to be able to communicate effectively uh, with your, with your group. That's interesting because I think that's like, that's such a universal issue with coaches <laughs> because we, we have the idea that we want to implement into the sessions, but it's a little difficult to, um, 
to transcribe that onto the pitch, right? Because we want certain um, we want certain things to be presented. Like for example, um, for me as a coach, I love small sided games. For me, I I idolize children that create independent thinking. Because um, for me in football, you can't be always be um, you always can't be giving instructions, especially at the age from like 10 to 14. It's not really necessary. It's not part of their development. Um, my question for you is that um, how like how how would your typical session would look like? Is it an hour and a half for one session? Or like how would how would a day of camp look like in Malawi? Um, so it's a 90 minute session every morning with our group. Um, but we like, what we do really well here is we combine the academic department and our football department. We work in tandem. Um, and then I also have a football class, so to speak, that we do inside of the whole school off the pitch. So we're getting four, uh, 90 minute sessions a week. Um, and it's built up very slow. And, you know, one thing I've learned to love here is how we layer information on our players. Um, before coming here, I was like completely against unopposed work, and I, I thought get him into a small sided game as much as possible, and and just let them let the game teach you. Which in Canada, I absolutely agree with that idea. Um, whereas here, our players are so technically good, but the decision making is so poor. So we have to give them the decisions, and then if we give them like four or five options, like then in the game they might choose one of those options to use. Um, so, you know, it starts with unopposed work, introduce the concept to them, make it lightly opposed, make it a bit more opposed, and eventually make it a conditioned game related to the theme, and then put them into an actual um, 7v7, AV8, whatever type of game you have in training. So, like, the training sessions are largely the same. I don't do a new session um, or a new game idea every day. We block training, so we'll work on a topic for three weeks or four weeks straight. Whereas in Canada, I might do one week here, do another, do a different topic for another week, do a different topic for another week, and then so on and so forth. And in the Canadian and Malawian, like the the structure is different, but the load is the same, right? The amount of like the amount of um, session time on a certain uh, topic is the same. So here we layer it for about three weeks straight and start off from a very analytical perspective, so very unopposed, and build it constantly to that more opposed um that more imposed environment uh, that more opposed environment where we see more game realism um and, it, and i'll be honest with you it's tedious again we want to see them get into the game and that's where the yeah. fun coaching can happen mm -hmm. but um it's not exactly conducive to learning in our environment unfortunately right so we have to make some of those uh those sacrifices as coaches it may not be the most fun uh thing for me to coach but it's absolutely the best way for our players to develop well yeah. So with that, I mean, was coaching kind of always something that you wanted to do? I mean, you clearly like you've, you've bounced around and some people will call it a dream. You go, you know, go into Scotland, go into Malawi. It's, it's a very drastic jump, but was that something that was like always in your direction or did you want to take something different in terms of football? Um, I knew pretty early on I was never going to be any sort of, uh, any sort of player. So, uh, I was I was like, okay, well, I still like soccer and I want to do things. I want to do 
soccer on my free time, right? And you know, five or six years, like longer, eight years ago, Twitter. I, I didn't use Twitter the way I use it now, where where I can like follow coaches and share their ideas. Does. <laughs> no one uses Twitter yeah. now the way they did eight years ago. <laughs> so like, but the, the thing is, it was so hard to find, um, you know, uh, ways to improve, right? So I pretty much just looked for clubs with. European licensed coaches, SCRL Mississauga was uh, was one of them, popped into there. And I like working with kids naturally. Um, like I just like just get I just like working with kids. So when I got there, they gave me the kids between like ages U8 to like U12 or 11 or something around around that age group. Realized I liked it. Um, but I also thought I just like working with kids and I like soccer. There's no really way I can, you know, make this a you know, put these two together and do it as a job. Um, but once COVID came, I've been coaching for like three years or four, like three years at that point. And I was making as much money as electrical apprentice while coaching. And I was like, well, okay, COVID's here. I've lost my electrical apprentice job, but I'm still, I'm still employed with my football club. So let's just, you know, been the electrical uh, gig and just do coaching. My quality of life is, uh, was, was better. Cause I like to work in the afternoons and then, at the second club, Ancaster Legacy, my old my old boss, Daryl, said, Cam, just go for your licensing. You know, if you want any sort of skin in the game, um, like, you need a license. And Daryl has an Argentinian pro uh, license. And, like, what he, he went to Argentina, learned, learned Spanish to do this. Course. He's an incredible role model for me. So when he's telling me, look, this is what's necessary, um, I kind of took that and said, okay, he sees potential in me. He says, you know what, you can probably go and do this as a, as a gig. How do we get on the licensing stream? So uh, I put on Twitter, does anyone know how to get into the UEFA licensing stream from North America? And then a buddy named Jeremy Handler responded saying, hey, I do. I'm doing it through this program called Generation Adidas, but you got to do it UEFA C first, and then you can go on to your B and A and so on and so forth after that. So I don't know if I always wanted to coach, but it kind of just, it kind of just fell into it. And uh, COVID was a, you know, kind of accelerated that falling. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want to go back into electrical work because I mean, I'm working with international players. You know, a lot of my players have played for the national team. Um, you know, it's a massive amount of pride I have. I love what we do. Every single day is um, rewarding. I can't imagine uh, turning lights on is going to be as fun as this. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to Jordan jump in front of one because I actually had a specific question here that was written. Um, uh, Obviously, yeah, you're going to be stuck with it. How? And this is a this is just one for me. I personally just want to know. I don't give a shit if anyone else cares about this question. How <laughs> difficult actually is it to get your license? Like, I mean, it's such yeah. a people don't it's know like, that there's so, so many hoops to getting into coaching. You don't just like rock up at a training ground and be like, "I'm your coach now." Like, it, like how, how? Yeah. What are those hoops? Like, how? How much of a fucking nightmare is it? So, I didn't realize it until I started the process. So. Um, I did just turn up one day and be like, look, I'll coach for free. Let me learn something. And um, like that, that's, you know, what I did. And Mississauga said, okay. So I coached for free for three months. <laughs> and like, okay, no. Then I, okay, I coached for free. And they're like, okay, no, we're actually going to pay you now because you turn up every day and you have a lot of enthusiasm and all that crap, right? Um, and then when Daryl said, you should go get your license, and, and I started looking for it, I was like, well, hold on. how the I have to work with a Scottish club to get my license. That's what some sites are saying. Um I, uh, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a, I can use my British passport to get into there maybe live in Scotland and then maybe like work with a club there just for the C license. I'm not a former semi-professional professional player, which means, 
you know, I get put on a waiting list, which means it's going to take like two, three, four, five years before you get to the B. It's a pain in the ass. It's a lot of waiting, really. Um, and then, you know, more licensed coaches, you know, ones who have like the A license or the B going to the A um, in any federation are going to, you know, will we'll agree that waiting for the B to A or the A to pro acceptance is daunting because you'll send in your application, you'll send in, um, you know, in your application is pretty much saying, look, this is the club I work for. This is, you know, the level of player I work at, and this is the league I, I work in. So if you work in the Spanish second division, you're absolutely going to be given more priority um, over someone from Canada, yeah. uh-huh. right? Absolutely. It's not even, it's not even up for debate. On my UFC license, I had four former MLS players on my course, right? And like, one of them had like 20 appearances in the MLS and I was like, how good is he? Like, maybe 20 appearances in the MLS. <laughs> right? Like how, come on. Wow. What Just like slagging, someone... slagging everything off. The player, MLS, you know. Uh, was... <laughs> I thought, you okay, name well, how good? Oh yeah, <laughs> great question. Yeah, you what, want to name What's the name? <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually remember his name. I think his name was Carlos. <laughs> He's a Brazilian guy. He's got a really super long name. Um, he's in a group chat. I mean, I have to find him, but like he's so guy, he's so got him good, right? So he, I remember him playing a great like twenty-five meter diagonal ball that didn't go above my knees, right into my running path. Because in the in the uh, course, you have to play in the course, right? So um, he played this ball I was running onto, and I was like, Jesus Christ! I could never like I made the run. I didn't think he was gonna play the ball, so I thought, okay, I take my defender with me. But no. He played the ball, and I had to actually try and run and beat my defender, um, which was horrible because it was completely out of, very out of shape. And I ended up getting on the end of it, and it was fine. But like you know, you're competing with these guys who played at professional level, semi professional level, who absolutely, um, in my opinion, deserve priority on these courses because they paid their dues by playing, just like how I paid my dues by coaching. That's kind of how I view it. So getting onto the course, paying the amount of money. I think my course fee was like three thousand Canadian. And then uh, for the UFC, and then the B is looking like it's going to be about 5,500 Canadian before flights. Um, and I had to go to Scotland twice. So, you know, fortunately for me, I have family in Scotland, so I'm not really paying too much to, you know, to stay places. But anyone who wants to get the B, it's, it's like a year of tuition almost. Um, so it's expensive. It's, uh, you know, you're competing with former professionals and semi-professionals um, who, who get priority. Um, also your league status, when you go onto the UEFA A and pro courses matters. So if you're not coaching at a good enough level, um, you won't get onto the courses, which is not a debate in of itself, because if you're a league one Ontario coach, it's very difficult to get onto the UEFA A's and pros because league one Ontario is just not that high of a level compared to like Spanish second or third or fourth division, right? Cause at that level, it's still full time. Spanish fourth tier is full time for a lot of clubs, whereas league one Ontario is not full time. So yeah. FAs are not going to be going to not going to cater to us. Tell us how after you've done your licenses at uh, Scotland, how did your opportunity to coach in Malawi arose? Was there someone you spoke to or? Um... Yeah, so I like this. This is so it's going to sound so stupid. Um, like I was in my uh, aunt's guest bedroom and I just got told, <laughs> Cam, you did really well in UFC. Um, we haven't given out the results yet, but Hey, if you want to come back next year for your B, we would love to have you. We think you did really well. And we think you're ready for the, the course. I was like, all right, that's pretty neat. So I looked at, I straight up, just typed in coaching jobs in Africa, Asia, Europe, that type of thing. And I went through as many, I, I think I spent like two or three hours looking for gigs, sending out emails, 
doing this thing saying, hey, just got my C license um, and I'm been invited to do my B. I know the requirement says B, but would you guys be interested in like having a conversation? Can I come work with you guys? I see the job posting, blah, 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 blah. Ascent had posted a job posting saying looking for a UFB coach. Um, I applied saying, look, I just got to see, I've been invited to the B um, and I want to know if I can come work with you guys. I ended up emailing the uh, co-founder, Adrian Bradbury, who luckily enough is Canadian. And I, oh, I found oh, that oh, out oh. when he re he responded and on his when he signed his email, um, uh, it said Adrian Bradbury, co-founder of Soccer, and it put his phone number and his phone number had the same area code as me. So he was only like 25 minutes from my house. I got back to Canada. We got some drinks, talked about the gig. And um, now I'm starting year two, right? And it's uh, it, it's been great. So um, it is as easy as just looking at as many options as you can. Uh, if you're not qualified, if you don't think you're qualified, um, you know, maybe still take the chance and apply and give yourself a chance to explain yourself, right? I got invited to the B to do i got invited to do it again so to me that says they view me at the level i didn't because one it's bloody expensive uh, i need to make some money before i go and spend five grand uh, but two yeah. i also just thought let me spend one year working with a high level of player um to to really make sure that when i go do the b i smash it um with all this stuff i've learned and now when i go in december i'll be i'm very confident i'll do well now remember kids Here's the life lesson. Fake it until you make it. Uh, so with that, we're gonna go through, we're gonna go to a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We have more hard-hitting questions when we come back. Hey ball boys and girls, I didn't see you there. I was too busy watching the game here on my amazing seats. Well, come to think of it, I should thank today's sponsor, SeatGeek. They're the leader in ticket resales, and with hundreds of thousands of events going on, you're almost sure to find some great tickets with them. And hey, while you're there, use our code FC13POD to get $20 off your first order. So thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring us and helping me get these amazing tickets. Welcome back to the FC 13 podcast. I am joined by Cam, UEFA license coach, and currently in Malali. And what a total like change. We found out now that uh, getting your license is super easy. All you need is about $3,000, an international passport, the ability to travel for long distances, and possibly like not even getting it. Um, so if you want to jump into it, just <laughs> go right ahead. Um, kind of doing that. What? kind of like obviously that is it is we've said it up a tons of times we're beating the horse to death here but that jump where would you like to go next like what is there another country that's you know maybe in asia that you're really kind of keeping your eye on or south america like where where would be kind of a cool next step for you so i think the next step um i would like it to be um I'd, I'd like to try uh, men's football or result, results driven football, but I want to like, you know, preface that by saying the next step probably isn't for a few years, right? I just turned 25. So um, I'm happy to wait until 30, right? There's no, there's no real rush for this. Um, I think what we're doing here at Ascent is so great. Seeing our players go to the US on academic scholarships or going to Europe for European trials. Um, that's awesome, right? Like I'd love to see our players do well. So 
one one thing is yeah senior men's football would be would be good uh, or even professional women's football as well i'm not gonna uh put myself in a box so i think that's the next logical step even if it's not a long-term thing right i, I always want to try and i think i think most coaches at the back of their head might think yeah you know what i wonder what i would do if i had this team right or what would i what would i do as a head coach or what would i do as this and that right and it's nice to imagine things um i imagined working with I thought, oh, it's, it'd be nice to work with youth international level players when I was coaching in Canada. Uh, and now I am now. I'm doing that here in Malawi. Um, I still think it'd be nice to work with in, in a results-driven environment. Countries I'm keeping my eye on, I mean, biases aside, I think Canada's really growing uh, quickly. I have a lot of friends who work in football as scouts or as recruitment analysts. And, you know, they'll send me a DM on Twitter or a message on WhatsApp and say, Cam, have you heard about, you know, XYZ? Have you heard about, you know, Dominic Zator? Have you heard about, you know, all these... You know, Mobabuli, have you heard about these guys? And I was like, yeah. I mean, those guys are from, those guys are like product of the of the Canadian professional scene, right? So Canada, really exciting um, and on the rise, I think, um, especially with League One Canada. That's been really neat, especially with the development recently out, out east. Um, and then kind of like out of left field, K-League is so interesting. So uh, I've been watching a lot of K-League this year because in Canada, I would watch sat- Saturday and Sunday morning soccer like all like I imagine most of our listeners and you guys. Yeah. Um, I've missed Saturday morning soccer, right? So I don't have Saturday morning soccer because all the Premier League games are at night. And I just, I, it's not the same. So K-League is showing up, it's showing at like 7 a.m. here. It's on Sundays and 9 a.m. on Sundays. So K-League has turned into like a guilty pleasure pastime, but it's also an incredibly technical league, plays at a really high level, and most teams play a good, exciting brand of modern soccer. So wouldn't mind going to Korea. <laughs> I mean, Daegu is my team. So who oh. who do you support there? Oh, it's got to be like um, Yonbok or uh, Ulsan. Like both of them, I've just been really excited to watch. Right, I, I've been impressed with both of them so far. You uh, you were mentioning earlier about the the CPL on League One Canada. Um, a couple of years ago, you posted a, a huge project about uh, several CPL teams about their tactics, their formations, and. Um, all of those interesting things. Tell us how how the process on finding those kind of videos and uh, how were you able to watch the games in that kind of view? So I'm going to give away all the industry secrets here. Um, (laughs) Watch games at two times speed, right? Um, That's the start. Watch at two times speed. And then also stop watching corners and stop watching throw-ins and stop watching injuries and stop watching fouls. Like, on my computer just push, push the um the right arrow key and it forwards five seconds right so you can I, like there was a when i was in the cpl project i was watching like eight games a day seven games a day which sounds like a lot but if you yeah. do it this way it's like really three hours four hours right it's not that bad and i wanted to get the project done in like two weeks so had a lot of free time especially because i was i was just coaching at this point i wasn't doing electrical gig so i'll just do a cpl project in the morning um, but I guess to look at it through a more analytical lens or tactical lens, I only really focused on the buildup from goal kicks or when they go back to the center halves. Um, and I focus on the pressing structures. Then some teams at the time had more, I guess, uh, midfield rotations. Like they actually tried to do things midfield. Some players would go, you know, start on, you know, the, the, your right sided eight and your right winger would switch positions during certain phases of play and and like they would do that common enough to form like some sort of pattern um and i would make note of that 
Um, and then all of it was just on a Google Docs note sheet that I ended up putting into PowerPoint and putting all the squares, all the circles and arrows and all that and explaining it. But I also uh, cut all the clips myself, which again, very easy. As soon as I made a note on my docs, like, okay, you know, Pacific plays out from the back this way. I can't remember how they did it three years ago. So forgive me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, come on, come on, describe um, it in detail. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I would write that down. I would clip it. I, I would just like go and cut that 20 second clip and then put it in a Google Drive folder and upload it. And I only did it because I thought it'd be really funny if I like all of the CPL tactics and see how many I won get right, right? Because I could have just gotten massively wrong and not saw anything. Like no, I may have just been seeing shadows. But two, uh, what if coaches and uh, players for these teams saw it? And um, a lot of them did. And I actually can't name names. Sorry, guys. But uh, there were three CPL coaches who were like, hey, this is really good. Um, uh, they're like, this is really good. We were really like, we were trying to do this. And there's now, and I can give him like Yanis uh, Tasala, Saladidis, he's at uh, FC London. He was with Cavalry at the time. And he liked the project a lot. And he was like, Cam, this is, this is sick. You like got us, like you, that was it. You, you got us to a T here. So getting that kind of approval was really good. And I would encourage people to like do that. Like it's free content on Twitter. And everyone, you know, the, the retweets and likes are great for the, the ego and, and great for your self-esteem. But like the connections I've made because of that product, that project are invaluable, right? I, and I do encourage people to create content. One, because it, you know, it helps them develop themselves and how they um, share information, but also because I think you meet so many cool people who are like-minded and maybe, you know, invest time in you. They share advice with you. They share information with you. Um, that's relevant to your career if you want to coach, or if you want to get into analysis. So um, doing the actual work was not that, it wasn't that difficult. Like it was monotonous, but yeah. like, I think anyone, any one of us could do it. I had an instat login. So I don't think anyone is, um, as lucky as me in that regard. You could also go on one soccer and I can't remember the name, but I had like a Vietnamese browser that let me download <laughs> videos straight totally. from, yeah, it was such a, it, it was such a sketchy setup, right? So I had instat, which didn't have all the games, right? So I have to go into one soccer using this Vietnamese browser that downloaded videos straight from the browser to your computer. And that's how I did it. And I mentioned, I, I asked one of the guys at one soccer, I was like, hey, I'm doing this project and it's probably not, you know, best, right? Like it's, it's, I'm not doing this as legitimately as I could. Is that cool with you? They're like, yeah, Cam, as long as you keep the one soccer logo, you're fine. And I was like, great, cool. I cut the one soccer logo and uh, I didn't get any trouble for the videos I was using on the, in, in the project. So I asked for permission. So if you're thinking about doing something similar, ask for permission or you don't include videos at all to do it. Cause I think it's great. Uh, it's a great way for you to, uh, share information and then improve your own, uh, presentation skills. And three, the, the amount of connections you're going to get from it are, are, are great. And I made so many friends because of that, uh, because of that project too. Yeah. It, I mean, analytics are obviously such a huge part of football. And, you know, everyone's always wondering how they do it. And you did obviously give away the secrets there. So make sure you steal videos, too, on top of that, kids. If you're really yeah. wanting to get into it, um, you have to steal it. So do you have permission before you steal, right? So yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's the important yeah, part. Then it's borrowing. Then it's borrowing. Yeah. So <laughs> would you find that there's, like, a significant difference in terms of when you're looking at the analytics of maybe an international game versus a club-level game, like, you know, from that kind of side, or do you find that they're fairly like you could almost take a club, plop it international, and there'd be no difference? 
it's strange, right? Like I think because international teams have such like a, such a small amount of time with each other compared to club teams, mm-hmm. you don't really have uh, time to embed some sort of structure and philosophy unless the football association buys into the philosophy entirely um, from grassroots up. So that way when you move to the age groups, the transition is seamless. Whereas I feel like a lot of international coaches say, this is how we're going to play soccer. Don't care how the U18s, U16s, and 14s do it. This is what we're going to do. And with international sport, with international soccer, uh, it, it, it's a lot harder. I, would, I, I don't envy international coaches. Um, like knockout football is great. Like I think that's yeah. – when, once you get to knockout football, that's really exciting. And that's where you're like – you can really take advantage of um, personalities and the outliers you see in the opponent. Like the outliers in the game, you can take advantage of those. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you have such little time to do up a philosophy. So you kind of just say, okay, here's all of our best players and here's how we're going to get the best out of them, which sounds extremely simple. And I'm probably like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mean to like, uh, you know, make it sound like it's easy because it's not, but getting so many talented players to play in a great system, in a system that wins games is hard. Look at France, right? They have so many talented players. But they're so fucking ugly to watch. I hate. <laughs> right? right, like at the World Cup, they, they yeah, Whoa. at the World Cup, they had some success, right? They and then fair enough too. They won a World Cup as well last last time out. But I don't like watching them. I think they're boring. But Mbappe is incredible during transitions. Giroud is an incredibly underrated uh, center forward. Um, you've got incredibly technical players in Kante, Pogba, and in twenty eighteen you have Matuidi as well. Um, Varane, Pavard, all great, excellent center halves, but they didn't play great football, right? For their clubs, they all played beautiful, eye-catching stuff. For France, it sucked. Like we just yeah. were like, ah, oh, like just when when Mbappe gets the ball, it's like, yeah, finally something's happening, right? But um, before that, like before that point, it's just hard to watch. So club football, you have a lot more time, I think at least, just more training sessions and more hours on the pitch to like really embed a philosophy and style of play. Um, but personally, uh, I think neither one of these is, 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 you know, is possible if you don't have mm-hmm. an FA or a club that yeah. says this is like the style of play we want to do, and we're going to do it from top down, right, or from bottom up, right. So that with the 13s, 15s, 17s, everyone plays the same style. So when they move up to the next age group, the transition is seamless. We do that here at Ascent. Our 12s play the exact same as our U15s, right. You'll see the same patterns. You'll see the same ideas. Oh, okay. Our 15s. Same as the 18s. So when our 15s go to the 18 squad because they get too old and they get promoted, it's not like this. It's jarring because they're playing against older boys, yes. But once the game comes, they've already got a set of principles and ideas um, that they pretty much live by. So that way, when they go into a new this new team, they um, they fit in really well. It's just the size that's going to kind of catch them off guard. So if an FA and a club don't have that kind of aligned, it's very difficult for any coach to kind of just pop in and say, look, this is how we're going to do things. But I guess to answer your question, yeah, international coaching is so much harder and so much more different because you just don't have enough time with them, I think. Yeah, even when you, when you brought up France, it reminded me of Real Madrid like a couple of years ago. Like they're, they're incredibly boring to watch in my opinion because um, – they had the same kind of tactics as France. It's knockout games. Like you have the talent enough to to attack, but it, some, it seemed like they it seemed like they were playing safe at the time, and it worked, right? So, um, you we mentioned earlier about the CPL project. Is there anything else you're currently working on right now? 
Um, no, I, I look, I've got to be honest with you. It's <laughs> hard. It's fucking exhausting. Like the amount of work that goes into that. Right. I certainly haven't made it. Um, but I put out a newsletter every Tuesday called the weekly round, which just talks about, you know, things I'm doing or things I'm reading, um, that are relevant to a certain topic that week. So the one that comes out on Tuesday, um, is about uh, man management and player management, which I'm really, which I really learned a lot about here. Not that I'm working with like real hard men, people who just don't, you know, I don't jive with, but like you got so many different personalities here uh, from so many different diverse yeah. backgrounds. You, you kind mm. of have to have, um, you just, you need to change hats quite a few times, right? Some players need a strip torn off them mm. to get a response out of them. And some of them need a father figure. Some of them need a friend. Some of them need like, you just don't talk to them and that's how you get results. So, you know, that like the newsletter kind of encompasses what I'm learning here. And I just kind of talk about every week and that's all I'm really working on. Like the B first block of the UAFB will start between June and August. And um, there's a lot of assignments with that. And I'll do my best to share as much as I can from that because I think people will find it interesting. But um, I think that's going to take up a lot of um, a lot of my free time, which is fleeting by the day as we speak. The free time is getting less and less here in Malawi, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, with that free time kind of fleeting, we'll get into the hard-hitting questions here that FC13 is known for. Um, these ones really dive deep into a lot of things. They're very controversial. Uh, so sure. Cam, best chicken wing flavor? <laughs> Honey garlic. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyone who says otherwise is stupid and wrong. <laughs> I don't care. No oh, care. Don't wait we, time. All right. We're, we're going to have some fisty cuffs here. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a good whack there. I don't know if Juan's got any super hard hitting questions. Favorite restaurant in Malawi. Oh, uh, I don't know the name. Uh, it's called beef <laughs> place. Um, it's just like, it's like, (laughs) so we just call it beef place. Cause I'm sure it has a name, but it's, um, so my, like a coach I work with Mark, he, you know, lives like 20 minutes or 15 minutes from me. So there's a, it's just beef place. Like, I don't know the name of it, but you get beef for like a dollar or $2 with some plantain. And it's pretty, it's pretty sick. They serve beers for a dollar. Um, so a night out in Malawi is like $10. It's, It's pretty crazy. Um, and beef place is the place to be on a night out. We will, we will absolutely post that on our Twitter. Cause like, if you're ever in Malawi, you can, you can go there. Go to so beef place. Send it to it. Um, okay. So what is your favorite FIFA game? Oh, I think, I, I think it was FIFA, FIFA 13. Yeah. Like I had a front three of Darren Van Jermaine. Bomb, Jermaine. Too. I have, I have the, uh, FIFA 13 soundtrack as a spot. I like got my Spotify. Like it's just ready to go. <laughs> I swear to God, it's, it's so good. Um, but yeah, Darren, I think FIFA Ultimate Team, I had Darren Bent, Jermaine Defoe, and Lucas Podolski front three, two strikers, and Podolski was the cam or the center forward behind the striker in a 4-3-1-2. It was so good, um, so simple, and I missed uh, when FIFA games were that simple. I, admittedly, I haven't played FIFA in a while, but FIFA 13 definitely takes uh, takes takes first place in my heart for sure. Speaking of uh, soundtracks, I know you're a big ABBA guy. Name me your favorite ABBA song. <laughs> It changes um, depending on my mood. Right now, I'm really enjoying Does Your Mother Know by ABBA. Um, mm. But when I'm going for personal records in the gym, uh, it's going to be Angel Eyes by ABBA. It's an absolute banger. And then by the time the second uh, the second chorus comes up, uh, or second verse rather, it, it's, it, it's great for when you're trying to lift up like 130, 40 kilograms. <laughs> it's just nothing gets you pumped up like ABBA does, that's for sure. So one of the things about Africa that I personally love the most is there are some absolute insane team names, club names. What is the the craziest 
team name that you club name you can think of? I think there's like there's NASA big bullets, there's silver strikers. Um <laughs> There's like Can you say that first one again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Nyasa Big Bullets. I know which is like if Toronto Jesus. listeners are like like they're hearing Nyasa and they're thinking, oh hold on, that sounds way too familiar. Um, no, Nyasa Big Bullets. Uh, I think they're in Blantyre. Then there's like Silver Strikers who have the coach named Peter Deong, who's an absolute gem. Anyone listening, please just go look at Peter Deong on Instagram. He is hilarious. He's just an insane person and i don't think he'd mind me say he lives like 15 minutes from me we can go like i gotta like i can go find him he's just great um and he's a silver strikers coach we have like we have a player there on trial right now actually who might sign with uh silver strikers and this crazy person peter Deong. um <laughs> but uh yeah, it's a big bull it's probably the one i, I kind of like is, whenever i say i get kind of looks people like look twice when i say that so yeah, it's a big bull it's the funniest one <laughs> So um, let me ask you this. You mentioned earlier about your fitness when you're doing your your licensing. Yeah. If you were playing at the Malawan Premier League, how much minutes would you be able to, to put into your shift? Like, you will have no, a tactical right. understanding. We we joke like we're we're joking here, right? But like yeah. Mark, he if you gave Mark like two months to get fit, he could play in a super. Oh, no, 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 no two well. months. Like you play in an hour. Yeah, I could. I mean, I, yeah, put me in goal, right? I think I could. I could really <laughs> yeah. 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 Put me, put me in goal, right? Like I'm not going to be able to play out from the back, um, which is fine. Um, that doesn't exist. That doesn't really exist in the Super League, to be fair. Um, but you put me in goal. I mean, I backed myself to keep a clean sheet. We played a social <laughs> World Cup tournament that I was voted uh, best player at. So, and I was from five clean sheets and three penalties saved. Um, Jeez. So. Um, yeah, I know. I pack myself. Put me in goal. If you have, if you give me one hour to prepare, I could do it. Let's do it. Fair. Okay. And then one one more final one, and this one's going to be technically all of us can answer. If you could make one radical change to the rules of football, what would it be? I'll go first, and that's the fighting rule from hockey. I would fucking <laughs> love to see that. <laughs> um, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, I want a weight limit. So every team, gets like, <laughs> every team gets like two thousand pounds, right? <laughs> so, you can just, you can so you're saying the, uh, the the requirement of of little people in uh, in signing a football are going to be an absolute high priority. Look, if you you could put on as many players as you want, okay, but you have a two thousand pound weight limit. Put on 20 100 pound small guys. That's gonna be fun. That's gonna be interesting, right? Um, or you just get like 10 big meatheads to like just run people down. Like I just, I, I really think it, we, we could, uh, we could be on to something here, but like, I, I want to see it. I think a fun, it'd be a fun variant of football, a weight limit. Yeah. For me, I think like every foul, you have to take a player off like the sin bin in hockey. So for like Ooh. for two minutes, if you get the foul, you'll have to wait on the sideline. So then your team will be at a disadvantage for like, a couple of minutes will be 11 on 10 and um yeah it, i don't know because i think there there does need to be changes in football it's not not the way that fifa's currently doing it with var and all that crap but i don't know there, there has that, to be a little bit of change the Sinbin idea you're gonna end up having uh a, a couple derbies there where there's gonna be like three players on the field <laughs> in total everyone's standing on the sidelines just waiting 
to come in. <laughs> um, with that, though, we will have to call it. Thank you much again, Cam, so much for coming on. Uh, we've been the FC 13 podcast. Uh, basically, right now, tell us, Juan, Cam, where do we find you online? So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at CamH with three underscores. Uh, I've got a newsletter called Weekly Rondo, which is on Substack. Um, all that can be found on my Twitter profile. Yeah, for myself, um, I'm trying to upload more YouTube content. I'm trying to really focus on the Canadian Premier League, League One Ontario. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter. But um, yeah, big summer ahead. So I'm looking really forward to it. Perfect. And this has been the FC 13 podcast. You can find us on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter at FC 13 podcast as well. I've been the Andre McRae. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. And remember, listening and watching the FC 13 podcast is a lot like watching football through a microwave.